me being me and stupid uh, <laughs> and super competitive with my road uh, reflexes. I yeah. fought for position and I came in sixth or seventh wheel. Uh, and obviously I was on the left-hand side of the road because it was a, it was a better approach, but, but the grass was on the right. And when I aimed for the grass, it was literally about a stretch of 10 meters and I didn't make it. Oh. So I clogged up within 10 meters, which is absolutely nothing. Like 10 meters is two car lengths. G'day legends and welcome back to the Press Room Podcast presented by Zwift, episode 70. Legends, episode 70 and we're talking Unbound Gravel and our guest today, we've got first up Nico Roche, former World Tour professional, 20 odd Grand Tours, top 10 the Vuelta twice I believe, four-time Olympian, now, gra- now Gravel privateer and we also have Adam Blazovic who is one of Australia's emerging gravel talents um, who's won multiple UCI Gravel World Series qualifiers, and both were on debut at Unbound Gravel. And we hear about their experiences. We talk about their nutrition plans, how much you got to eat just to complete this thing. We talk about bike preparation. We also hear about the infamous mud section. That's right, it's what you all want to hear about. And I tell you what, they both nail it on the head because they had some very interesting experiences with that infamous mud section and i wonder what do you guys think if you've done a little bit of research if you read some of the articles been going around or watched some of the um you know the social media commentary that's been going on about it what do you think do you reckon they should have rerouted uh the race around that uh mud section the organizers knew about it the night or the day before because it had some heavy rain that kind of really messed it up or should they just leave it in um, and, you know, just let it add to the epicness of the race and the brutalness of that race? Um, it took a lot of people's days away from them. Um, DNFs were highest by a country mile, I believe, 30-odd percent were DNFs in this race. So I wonder, you know, do you leave it in to, to for that challenge or do you take something like this away? Um, listen to what Nico and, and Adam say and, and let me know what you think. Um, it's a really interesting one. But nonetheless, the Unbound Gravel Race is, well, it's the king of the gravel race. It's what started it all. And um, yeah, certainly something that I'd love to see and get to eventually. Um, but legends, before we get stuck into this episode, big shout out to Zwift, our title sponsor of always since day, well, since about day 30 really, Zwift have been on board with the press room and, and um, you guys know I love it. I just think it's a real enabler for training, for just cycling, for staying um, healthy and fit, particularly when it's hard to do so, which is now for Australia, for Oceania, when it's raining, it's wet, it's cold. Um, you don't want to go outside because it's just, you know, it's just ranked riding. So being able to do a training session, ride with your friends indoors, ride in these really cool worlds. Um, if you're into games and that sort of stuff, there's sort of a gamified aspect to it, unlocking different bikes and, and leveling up, that sort of stuff. Um, and also the racing. I'm really on there for the racing. I love it. Uh, the criteriums you can do in the morning. Um, if anyone's raced the Gladsgow crit circuit, the event only one, yeah, you know, that is a feral circuit. That's one of the hardest crit courses on Zwift by a country mile. I raced it last week, and um, well, I'm still feeling it now. Um, but yeah, shout out to that course. And also, Legends, if you need some winter kit, okay? I love the Attacker Apparel, okay? We know it's the apparel sponsor of the podcast. Now, I love cycling kit, but when I 
think about Attacker, their winter kit is some of the best available. Seriously, it's some of the best available. Their long uh, bibs are really, really solid. But the quilted jackets, I've been talking about it for over a year now. Get yourself that quilted jacket. Not only for commuting, for gravel riding, for just a bunch ride. And you want to just be, you know, warm and cosy if it's absolutely decking you down. It's just a piece you have to have. CR-ThePressRoom, all caps. That gets you 15% off. Okay, legends. Hope you enjoy this one. Gravel, Unbound. Check out the social media on um, uh, Unbound Gravel. Look at Adam Blazovic. He's starting a YouTube channel soon. Um, Nico Roche is pretty good on the socials as well. You can see all their stuff. Uh, make sure you check them out. Give them a follow. And I hope you enjoy this episode, legends. And I'll see you on the next one. No, no, no. I, I literally just um, unpacked the bike this morning because I only oh. arrived yesterday. Oh, shit. So literally I went from, uh, from unpacking the bike here. My hiding keys are still there actually before I forget them. <laughs> to putting the bike here to do- doing a phone call for an hour. <laughs> oh, man. Thanks for screaming. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so I've, uh, I was, I don't know, the kind of everything hit me this morning. So I woke up pretty late and... Um, I just had to, because my bike, my bike only arrived yesterday. I was delayed two days. So I was like unpacking the bike and the next thing the phone went, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> and I was just dressed uh, to go this morning around, around about an hour and a half ago. I was leaving. I like, hey, half 10, that won't be so bad. And then, uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Do you want me to chuck a t-shirt on so I don't look as stupid? Nah, man, that's good. It's podcast. What are you wearing there? What's, what's what brand are we wearing? Uh, Oh, ASOS. Ah, ASOS. Well, I'm an ASOS ambassador. Mm. Oh, very good. Is the camera better like this, or how do you want it? Actually, is it better like this? Yeah, that looks all right, yeah. Good. Yeah, that's good. Well, are, are you recovered? <laughs> From um, oh, I, I, I don't think so. <laughs> like mm. I said, I, I, had a, I had a full, was it 12-hour sleep? I never, normally I sleep seven. Uh, but it just it just hit me yesterday. Um, again, I I made it home on on was a Monday night, and um, and yesterday morning I had to to get up at five, so I only had like six or seven hours sleep max Whoa. to go to Marseille to pick up my sorry to drop off my passport at the Chinese consulate um, because I'm going to China next week, and you have to do it physically in the consulate. But it's a two and a half hour drive, oh, so. Right. And again, another experience. There was there was a stamp missing on one of the um, on one of the documents. They that needed like an official police stamp or something like on the invitation letter. Oh. Um, so look, lucky enough, China's ahead and not behind. So when I sent an email, uh, the guys were kind of just on it, but it took them like three hours. So I was just sitting in the car <laughs> for three hours waiting for an email <laughs> to arrive, and then I had to go and print everything. So even yesterday, when it's as it was already complicated and a pain to go all the way to Marseille, which is, like I said, a two and a half hour drive to drop off my passport and this application form. And then once I got there, I realized that, well, the lady realized that um, the stamp wasn't uh, the official one and it needs to be a proper police stamp on the invitation oh, later. So they don't make things easier to go to China. And then, but lucky <laughs> enough, the guys were super reactive and they managed to get me that in within a couple of hours. So it wasn't so bad because I was just afraid that I wouldn't make it before closing time. And because these things are kind of open just like four or five hours in the morning and then they're done. And um, 
so I was like, oh, if it's if it's I've I've lost literally five hours or well plus the two hours doing nothing. So six hours, seven hours doing nothing in Marseille, and I probably have to go again today and lose another day. Um, yeah, yeah. So so lucky enough, uh, literally half an hour before it closed, it arrived, stamped, um, printed it, gave it to them. Everything signed. So I'm picking. So I'm going to Norway at uh, Finland tomorrow uh, for SBT Finland. And then I go. I come back on on Sunday night, Monday. Drive back to Marseille, pick up my passport, and then on on Thursday, fly to to China. Wow, wow! The life of a privateer, isn't it? These days, it's crazy. Yeah. Your glutes must have been on fire sitting in the car, just waiting. You know, like it <laughs> must have been stiff as a board. Oh. Yeah. So I, I sat on I sat up the of the passenger seat. Uh, just doing a bit of work and email because I admit, um, I, in 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 the states, I and all all this traveling, I there's a lot of things that I just said oh, I'll do later, uh, and there's a moment where you can't do later. So yesterday I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm stuck here in the car. Actually, I I I, I got bored and I went for a walk and I got myself a fresh haircut. I was like, okay, I need a haircut, so I might as well get it done now. So it was a bit risky. I just randomly. Uh, went into this this saloon i says oh can you can you take me now i says yeah we'll take you now so but anyway you did a good job so i was happy yeah, looks all right, mate. <laughs> fresh to death love that <laughs> well um I, I just want to talk about unbound i just think it's such a, a crazy um event and it seems very fascinating to to try and observe it from, um from australia and, and and maybe outside of the u.s in general but i guess uh, I'd like to hear your take on it. This was was this your first time that you've raced unbound, or did you race it last year too? No, no. Uh, last year at this time of the year, I, I was barely on the bike. I was just coming back from my yeah. I had mm-hmm. worked on the Giro, uh, with Bianchi, and that was kind of what got me back on on the bike. I'd done like almost four months with uh with no training in Ireland doing the dancing show, and then <laughs> um went from there straight to to the Giro working with uh with Bianchi, and then that was the weekend of uh of unbound. So okay. I kind of started um, doing a few gravel races in, in June, had two in June, and then I did one, two in August. And then that's kind of what kind of scratched and let me think about, okay, maybe next year I might do a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah but... How, um, I guess, did it, did it meet your expectations as an event? So there's a few things. Um, as an event, definitely. I think... Uh, the whole expo, the the vibe. Um, I was there a couple of days before. You you really feel that in America, it's it's actually really like this. Not not for me and some of the pro from the roads, but but for the Americans, the stretch levels is a hundred percent. And for them, is the Olympics, is the World Championships, it's yeah. everything, the Tour de France, everything in one. And that's the biggest shot that they get to. Uh, fame or recognition in in America and as a privateer or even in in, in their American teams, that's where they get their their recognition and their their status. Mm. It's kind of on on the lifetime series, generally speaking, on all the events, uh, on some of the PWRs and SBT, for example. But but unbound as a race is really their world championships, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, it was quite quite funny because we were. Uh, I'm supported by by SRAM and so is Paul Voss and the two of us being being roadies there is like yes there was stress because you know for me it's a big investment to spend another week in in the states uh, especially as a privateer so it's I mean it's it's time consuming and it's money consuming too every night it's a hotel every night it's a rented car it's extra food 
yeah. uh, and it's time away from from home especially when i've already been five weeks on the road but but i was pretty i was stressed but pretty relaxed and the same as paul voss is yes we're here and we feel the pressure because it's a massive investment for us but the guys from SRAM are laughing because you could just see the difference with the with the americans who really see it as a lifetime opportunity wow yeah that's it's definitely a um well i remember before i reckon around five or six years ago i remember looking it might have been a little bit longer than that when i first uh started watching the coverage of this race when it was called dirty kansas before unbound and i remember thinking wow the u.s is like this is going to be massive at the time um and steamboat as well and leadville they were the three main ones and um, you can just see just from all the images how, um, yeah, yeah, how big of an event it is there. And I wondered uh, your preparation for Unbound. You obviously raced uh, a seven here in WA a um, couple of weeks ago. Did you do any specific preparation for Unbound? Like how do you train for a 10-hour race? So that was the question I asked myself. Uh, and uh, when I was following all the other top guys in America, they were they were doing you know nine ten hour rides, uh, forty hour weeks, uh, and I'm like I don't I I can't even have forty hour weeks I can't I can't find the time to do forty hour weeks. Yeah. Uh, I have so much going on, and especially my my at the moment um I was not focusing on Unbound particularly. Um, I'm on this year is really trying to race as much as possible, try the different races, learn the courses to kind of give it a better shot next year. And so I prepared it by racing because training is fine, but I realized what I what I need is is race days. I need to do those six, seven, eight hours mm. um, racing. I, I don't need, I, I've done, I don't know, 24 Grand Tours, four Olympics, whatever. I don't need kilometers. I need racing because at the moment, even when I'm home, my quality of training is not as good as it used to be because one, I never had the time, but I'm traveling so much. Even when I have the time to train, I'm always slightly tired. Right, yeah. So I'm kind of always between recovering from a flight uh, or I'm doing TV in the afternoon and I'm going early mornings and late after and put pre-show and after show, yeah. or uh, I'm, I'm doing some management BSing and I'm doing an hour in the ergo in the afternoon. So there's just so much happening that I can't have a structure. And there's weeks I get 24 hours a week. There's weeks I get 16 hours a week. Yeah. I kind of try and, and, and push myself to get close to 20. If I get, that's kind of my goal. Okay. But there's nothing like 26, 27. And I feel that's the hours I'm missing. So, but moreover, what I need was, was those, those race days. Yeah. So the way I prepared it was like, okay, I need, I need to commit to, to racing every weekend. And when I'm going to, you know, around the world tour, uh, yes, I could have been two weeks in the States just thinking I'm preparing for Unbound, but no, uh, I did Gravel Locos, which was 250k, which is as close as Unbound as it can get, for me at least. And then after that, the week after was another seven hours on the bike with um, with racing uh, BWR in in Canada. So those were the, the kind of training. So basically, I was just kind of doing a hard race, recovery, recovery, a good training in the middle, um pre-race pre-race race <laughs> that's kind of how it was working okay okay um it sounds pretty good like some of those pre-races before like the the locos and i think the one before that was the tracker as well that wasn't too far before it it was a good run-up for, for for competitors to tune up for unbound but what about your um 
one thing I'm really interested in, I'm sure everyone will be, is what kind of what was your nutrition strategy for Unbound? What did you plan um, for your feeding? So in my feeding, um, so first of all, uh, you, you know, feeding for for the race also starts like uh, I guess kind of lunchtime the day before. So made sure I already had some some carbs for lunch, uh, a good bunch of carbs in the evening, and I tried to keep it as as plain as just just literally I went just pasta. Um, and, and the same in in the morning, I went back old school at uh, half three in the morning, boiling my water and and my <laughs> my my pasta with a bit of olive oil. Uh, you know, when Ooh. a shorter race is on the road, I would go oats, and 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 so far I've always done oats because even in hotels or in inns that I am, the um, it's easier to just to boil the water from. Yeah. There's always in the states, there's always like a kettle. It yeah. doesn't matter how cheap the hotel is; <laughs> they, they don't do breakfast, but there's a kettle in the room, uh, and I just boil the water and then just kind of have my own in a bowl with me and just sp- go to the grocery store, get some oats, and cook my oats. Well, boil my oats in the morning, uh, and kind of. You know, I'd, I'd probably buy some cinnamon rolls or something like that to just have a bit more sugar and stuff. But but that's how, I wasn't I wasn't super prepared. Where where there I was like, okay, I just have to commit. And we were I was in a Airbnb and I had you know the kitchen. I was like, okay, uh, I I just need to cook uh, my my pasta because I know at the moment this this is personal feeling now. There's nothing scientific about it, but there's all these you know with all these chefs in 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 the teams. They prove that there's so many different types of carbs through quinoa, through oats, through sweet potato, through everything, uh, spelt pasta, rice. But there's something where I always felt that nothing really made me feel the same way on a long day as pasta. Mm. Uh, and like I said, this is just pure. There's nothing scientific. This is just me on a bike. Yeah, when I have oats, yeah, oats are great. You know, it's. Just shitloads of fiber. Sorry for my language, but literally, uh, you're you're in, you're out, digested. You can go on the ride the bike in a half an hour. Pasta takes a little bit more time to 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 kind of digest and all that. And, and yes, your your legs are a little bit bloated on the start line. It retains a lot more water, so you're heavier. So if you know if you have a mountain stage on 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 the road, you kind of maybe go for rice or whatever because there's less residue than than pasta. But I just felt that on on a tough long resistance ride, there was nothing that that beats pasta mm. uh, and white pasta, not the spelled pasta, the same also spelled pasta never gave me the same energy. And so I committed to unbind. So, all right, you know, it's nothing very tasty about having pasta at three forty-five in the morning, but, but I forced myself through, put a bit of olive oil on it and it kind of, kind of went, went down. Um, uh, okay. Put it that way. So uh, after that, I, I made sure that, um, uh, that I just had like some kind of a, um, again, kind of high carb with a little bit of protein bar um, while I was getting um, the bike set. So about, about 30, 40 minutes before the, the start. So I arrived there around around five o'clock and it was 5.50 start. And uh, I just had, um, you know, one of those bars, like 30 grams of carbs. And they usually have like 10, 12 grams of, of protein. Yeah. So it's yeah. they're never really high in protein. But just, just to keep that kind of carb carb intake. Um, in my pockets, I had, I started off with, I think, so one, two, three, I think I had five uh, carb bars, um, kind of around 30 grams to 40 grams. I had a different types of, um, um, I'm sponsored by a brand called Bioenergy, but, mm-hmm. but just because it's such a long race and I was going to eat over 20 bars, 
I kind of just went to the supermarket and bought a couple of different other other bars just just for yep. taste reason because it's just such a long day that yeah, um, that yes, unfortunately I can't commit hundred percent to to what, but but I can't I can't go and goji bars for for the yeah. whole eleven hours. <laughs> yeah, because so your palate gets those, fatigued. Yeah, exactly, and, and and it's already hard to eat coming into the 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 tenth or eleven hours. You kind of have to still think about it and force yourself. So anyway, I bought I bought a bunch of bars from 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 the supermarket and um so i had about had about five bars in my pocket and also knowing that the the, the first hour or hour and a half usually in gravel is always extremely fast because that's when you try and open up the gaps and kind of yeah. break the race apart so i had a bunch of gels in the pocket as well also because are we talking in miles or kilometers uh kilometers kilometers okay so the, the first feed zone was only after 129 kilometers. So okay. there was a long way to go. Uh, if you think about it, um, because I was stopped for 40 minutes, uh, it took me five hours to get there. So so lucky enough, the pockets were full. Uh, and I had, I had a couple of gels there as well, because again, I was like, okay, if the race is full on, uh, I can't really have uh, a bar and just, you know, it's just even it takes more time to chew. Yep. You have to break it up, eat it in two times where where the gel is like straight down yeah. where on the road for example i'd kind of always wait the last two hours hour and a half for gels yes. but in, in gravel I, I i would have gels um a lot earlier in the race i wouldn't have like a structure it was like, okay bar 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 rice cake and gels uh, it would be whatever i feel depending on the energy that, yes. that of, of the race uh, just to make sure i'm always always full so again so i'd probably in the first five hours had about uh so those five bars and probably three gels uh, I had a two liter um, camelback with uh, um, with about in total at four scoops, so about about eighty grams of carbs in the two liter backpack. Two liters, uh, and then I also had had uh, forty grams of carbs on both bottles of zero seventy five that I had on the bike. Uh, so that that was that that was my starting point. Kilometer one thirty, I had my second uh, hydro pack, uh, and this one. To be quicker, um, uh, I bought a hydro pack that has pockets. So the one, the one was like the typical, just kind of small camel pack in the back pocket. It's, it's yeah. just only a, almost hydro. Um, this one has pockets in the front, pockets on the side. Um, and that was a one and a half liter. Uh, actually, I could have done with two liters. Uh, I finished that one super quick. Also, because the temperature rose dramatically in that, uh, in that kind of lunchtime, um, we had peaks of like 35, 37 degrees. Where in the morning, um, it, it was, yeah, so it was given quite fresh. I was like, okay, one and a half liters plus the two bottles is going to be fine. But actually, I, I think I was a bit tight with, uh, with, with, with water because actually once, you know, I, I rode the whole day alone and I, and I actually stopped at one of the, the, the water points just to refill another one and a half liters in, in my little two bottles. So anyway, I had my hydro pack. In that pack, I had, uh, I think, three bars here um three gels here another three gels here and i said i had one one bar in the pocket so again i had about seven or eight kind of um, food intake knowing that this one was the longest stretch because we went from kilometer 130 to kilometer 170 uh Ooh. 270 sorry 270 so that was that was the longest one to to plan for because you were again another almost yeah. five hours holy shit uh well four hours four and a half hours but 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 they were the it was the longest stretch, and then once I got to the second pit stop, so I had stopped again to get two two bottles of water extra on on the road, 
Um, and when I got to the last feed, I I took another two bottles uh, that I had prepared, uh, and there they had zero forty of carbs in each of them, and uh, another another five or six bars or gels. So so yes, yeah, so around twenty bars and gels together, and about about eight liters um, of um, of water. Um, thinking that I probably could have done with nine or ten of water. I think I, I finished, although it was raining and everything, and uh, because the last hour I kind of backed off, I, I finished okay, but, but I definitely could have done with it. So I think I have to think next year or or, or the year after, um, a little bit more about not having more water. Uh, food, I was fine. I think I had loads of food and I didn't bunk and I was feeling fine. And I think my, my, my food uh, was, was great. I just think when I, especially when I was reading some of the reports from other guys who who also kind of posted about their their hydro techniques and and strategies, and a lot of guys were kind of hitting that ten liter, and I think I was I was about eight, uh, and I think I, I, I think nine would not have been too much. Mm, okay, wow, that's just goes to show how much you have to eat. It sounds crazy to think about ten hours on the bike and um, to do that, especially. At that level, don't you? You have to be. I mean, you've heard the. I've heard the line so many times. It's an eating and drinking contest. Uh, for, for unbound, certainly. Um. Yeah, and it's crazy like, how hungry you are after the race. As in, <laughs> I I finished the race and I was a bit. You know, my guts weren't weren't quite ready. But um, an hour later, I, I I was with the the, the Yankee crew and they got me this uh this kind of massive hot dog. Um, <laughs> and um, after that, literally an hour later, I was at dinner with uh, with, with SRAM, uh, and there I had a proper full on steak with fries. And then I was waiting for my friend Cedric, that also was with me at seven. He he, he went back to Europe and then flew back to Unbound. And um, but he arrived at at, at one a.m. in the morning. And as I was on on the finish line uh, at around midnight, I had to go back and get it. There was only hot dog stands, hot, hot, um, much kind of uh, food trucks. So, yeah. but I just had to go for another hot dog at midnight because I was still, I was still hungry after that. And um, my friend arrived at, at at quarter past one, so gave him a couple of. Uh, well, he took two hot dogs directly from that same place that closed at three a.m. because the close off top is three a.m. <laughs> but but the thing is, so we got back to the to the Airbnb at two, but we were up at seven uh to to leave because we had to go back to the airport but we wanted to get laundry done give a second bike wash uh, uh and just kind of make it you know it was a couple of hours drive to, to kansas city so but when i woke up at seven i was hungry again oh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it was just like but you know i looked at the calorie intake and i and i, and I was roughly uh roughly around uh 10,000 calories 10, so uh, it's yeah. it's it's a big day yeah um you couldn't, you couldn't i, I, I had never done anything like that yeah, you couldn't replace that. You wouldn't even. You're probably not even replacing half of that with your food on the bike. Not even half. Ten thousand kilojoules is. Yeah, Mm-mm. that's crazy. Um, one thing I'm really interested in talking to you about is uh, I want to hear about the mud, the mud section. I just keep reading about the mud. So many war stories, and it seemed like a lot of the a lot of the Aussies also got caught up in the in the mud. Um, what actually was it like, and and how long was this mud section? It came quite early on, right? It came at mile eleven, so it was about sixteen, seventeen k's in, oh. and I was not impressed at all. 
Um, everybody knew about it. Uh, I knew about it, and I was really worried because I knew that um, my my Bianchi bike is extremely fast. It's an amazing bike. It's kind of more based on a cyclocross base than than one of those wide adventure bikes. Yeah. Uh, so so when it's climbing, it's amazing. But obviously, when you have that type of bike, there is one downfall: is when it's mucky and wet. Yeah. Uh, and you have very little tire clearance, so clearance. you know you, you yeah. can't have it all. Uh, so I I I was already worried on the start line. Um, I had my plan to obviously kind of fight for my position and, um, and initially really, I was thinking, okay, I'm not going to go in too far up the front because I want to see if the guys dismount and, and run yeah, or are they going to try it? Me being me and stupid, uh, <laughs> and super competitive with my road, uh, reflexes, I yeah. fought for position and I came in sixth or seventh wheel. Uh, and obviously, I was on the left-hand side of the road because it was a it was a better approach, but but the grass was on the right. And when I aimed for the grass, it was literally about a stretch of ten meters, and I didn't make it. Oh. So I clogged up within ten meters, which is absolutely nothing. Like ten meters is two car lengths. But, so you're going but that's in there full gas, and you full gas. It was like putting on the handbrake. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I was fuming and i speak four languages and i swore every single bird name in all four languages so it took me a lot of time and and, and not not because my bike clogged up but because of the stupidity of having this section not cut off yeah and on the start line when the organizers are, are, are laughing saying well guys you're gonna have to run i'm like it's bloody four miles it was like seven kilometers it's like there's really? no fun in that. There's not this, and and I mean, you know, if it happens in the last hour of the race because it's a massive thunderstorm, I'm like, shit happens. When everyone knows about it, I knew about and it. You're yeah. gonna make four thousand people dismount and walk for an hour, mm. so that kind of ruined my my day. But also, I was just angry with with how there was people laughed about it. Oh yeah, it's crazy. It's adventure. It's gravel. It's like, well, it's not really gravel. This is walking. Yeah. And and at the end, I'm I'm pretty sure the strongest guys won, like definitely, because you look at the top guys and they are the strongest guys yeah, in yeah, the world yeah. of gravel. So undoubtedly it did not affect the winner. I'm pretty sure Keegan would have won even if it was dry and 45 definitely. degrees. Um and, and the guys who were with him were, were the strongest guys in, in the world of gravel. So that that's that's fine. I just think um that's a pity for the race. Mm. Um, I, I walked 45 minutes and I was stopped 30 minutes and, and I'm like I, I didn't you know if you think about it you pay for it you travel there it says I didn't come here to I, I'm doing gravel to have fun carrying my bike for 45 minutes on my shoulder is not fun yeah and what about and, and you know the, yeah well, the, the there was another section people. exactly there was another section in the finish um, which was much shorter. It was only about one mile long, so like one and a half k. Still, still about a fifteen minute walk. But you know, the guys, for example, in the front, um, it had kind of half dried off, and they managed to 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 roll it. Um, I was caught up in this massive thunderstorm, and there was no way. And again, dismounted and, and walked. So I was just. I just really wanted to. I know a lot of. I think it was like fifty percent of people kind of pulled out or something like that. It was ridiculous. Yeah. But, but yeah. But but I I was like okay I'm I'm I need to go through this. I I'm gonna take my time. I'm gonna bite my tongue. Be patient. 
And also um, because I just wanted to have a proper recon and understand my fueling, understand my eating, understand my pit strategy, uh, if my tire pressure was good. And the only way, I, and I had never done that distance. So if I could also hold it. So mm. I was actually, although I was alone, I was, I was pushing. Yeah. And if you look at my, my, my times, I was, I was like 150 at last on the first section. And I, and I, and I went, worked my way down to, to 39th. But, but regardless, I, I wasn't counting riders. I was just going for it and mm -hmm. riding like if I was riding a time trial of essentially 12 hours. Mm -hmm. And um, only only in, in that last section, 50k to go, so about an hour and a half to go, I bumped to, to, to an Aussie guy, well, two Aussie guys uh, that were there. There was a bird oh, and, yeah. and then an amateur from, yeah. And then an amateur from from um, from Melbourne that that's in the states racing at the moment. I don't know him. Full tattoo guy, but a cool oh, guy. Oh, I'm Derek. And, um, okay, yeah, I'm Derek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so, so we had we 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 then uh, so there was massive tailwind. So I got kind of like, okay, guys, get on the wheel. I'll I'll get you home. And then <laughs> eventually I bumped into the marquee and some other guys. And then I was like, okay, I I think now I'm ready to talk for an hour. I've been <laughs> I've been unsociable. Unsociable yeah. grumpy rider for for eleven <laughs> hours. I think I'm gonna do the last thirty k, and, and eventually we we backed off, and there was a group, and we rode two by two to that the last, uh, you know, basically the last twenty five thirty minutes. We kind of rolled to the to the finish, and finally kind of kind of kind of talked. But but till till that twenty k to go, I, I was just in grumpy mode and and just going for it because I also like I said I wanted to get a feeling to understand yeah, the race and next year. I could have pulled out and said, what the heck, um, I'm, I'm over it. And I was. And I thought about it a hundred times. Mm. I was like, no, because I need. I also need to, now that I'm here, I need to make the most of today. I don't want to just to throw away a week of being in the States, yeah. all the money I spent in the hotels, rented car, food, uh, the preparation. It says I'm not, I'm not going to throw that away uh, unless it's a proper mechanical, I break my chain or I can't ride and I have another 10 punctures on top of that. Uh, yeah. but if it was just because I was getting clogged up with the mud and I had to carry my bike I says well that's not really a good enough reason for me to to pull over so I'm just going to take my time uh, use my my mud stick and be grumpy later on at the finish but but just get on with it mm, far out wow it sounds uh even though it sounds like you had some challenges it sounds like you also learned a lot that'll help you in the following years when you go back again yeah um yeah. yeah, totally. Like I said, uh, although I was fuming, um, I, I was also, I took a lot out of the, the race and try and make the most out of it. Mm. I was disappointed because I, I, I put so much effort into the race and I, it, it's, it's just, I, I knew I would not have won. I don't think I was at the level of Keegan, but I would have given the guys a run for the money. Uh, and, I, and I think I would have been, been competitive and, and one of the, the, the top guys out there um and again i was just disappointed that i even get the chance to try the show yeah yeah that's the hardest thing sometimes not getting to show you show your cards but um i'm happy you still got to have that little hour at the end with with uh with demarkey and and the rest of the crew that sounds like you you finished on a bit of a high that's really good and the 10 hot dogs as well yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah well um nico good luck for what do you got you got um Valtteri's race this week. Yeah, SBT this weekend. That's cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. I've been I've been th over three days uh, off the bike, uh, but I'm 
again like <laughs> I'm a kid now about about to go. Um, yeah. I, I won't do too much today, but I have a, my my fight's really late tomorrow, so I'll be able to do a proper ride tomorrow, mm. um, and then then head out there. And then the week after, I'm doing a Grand Fondo in in China, um, back in Beijing, uh, organized by the Vuelta. So they they franchised a, a new Grand Fondo series called Desafio. Um, so I think they have one in Colombia and now they're, they're extending one to to China. So it's the equivalent of the the Tour de France, um, yeah, Etat, for example. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so now the Vuelta the Vuelta have started uh, I started doing that. So I'm one of their their guests next week with a uh, Contador and a whole bunch of other Spaniards. Uh, I was actually super pleased that they called me. Uh, the Vuelta was undoubtedly my one of my favorite race, but also the race that kind of. Uh, where I always had a, a lot of a lot of success, and uh, when when they asked me if I could be one of their ambassadors for their events in China, I was like, oh yes, for sure. So, and after that, I'll do another gravel race in um, in the UK, where Ekoi is the main title sponsor. So it's called the Ekoi Stone Classic, uh, and then I'm not racing for for six weeks because I'll be commentating in the Tour de France, oh. and then the week the my my race after that will be SBT in in Colorado. So there's a big chunk um without racing but but i also think that uh, i needed that and, and at the end of the day and uh, this is why i'm i really enjoy at the moment my 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 life with the gravel scene is i can i can still work on my future and the other stuff but also still manage to go and do these really cool events and travel the world mm, amazing mate so good um thanks for your time nico really appreciate it Thanks, and, um, and enjoy the talk with Adam. I just saw yeah, him log in. Yeah, he just jumped in. I know. Yeah, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was just talking to Nico. He's a funny man. Yeah, he's good, isn't he? Have you had a chat before? Or... Sorry? Have you chatted to him before? Or... No, nah, first time I met him was at WA. Yeah, he's really good. Yeah, I thought he'd be good for an episode, so... He's good, mate. He's um, yeah. He's living a good life at the moment. He's traveling everywhere. He's he's going to yeah. China after the yeah, yeah. Valtries. That's crazy. yeah. He's going to China, which is yeah, it's crazy. So yeah, can you hear me all right too? Or mate, it's beautiful. Okay, That's, this is the abode, eh? Yeah, it's like part of the apartment. Yeah, it's like a little uh, just like a little room out the back there, so you can like open up the windows and they've got like living room and kitchen and everything. So that's mm. yeah, it's nice. So I was lucky, got a good place. So it's thick. Well, yeah. I was just we were just recapping. Um, well, Nico just uh, explained to us the mud section. We'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. How are you feeling after the weekend? Are you um, are you still feeling any fatigue? Uh a little bit. Not too bad though. Like I, but uh, I think it's been a bit of travel. I think the day after the race, Sunday, we're still in Kansas, so in Bora. So I just did like a little recovery ride. I actually didn't feel that bad. I thought I was going to feel way worse. I was like, I'm going to like be struggling on the bike. Um, but it wasn't too bad. And also, I only did like. 200k of the race because i fully cracked but we'll probably get into that a bit later but um yeah then flew back on monday got back to Toronto like tuesday after and then yeah um went out on the bike this morning which was good did a couple of hours a few little efforts for finland and actually felt pretty good and then had some physio work just before so actually feel pretty good at the moment so not too tired which is nice so um uh, yeah we should be uh should be in good shape for this weekend so yeah mate you did you did um this race last year did you this is valtteri's Finland. What's oh, it I didn't. 
it's like just called Finland Gravel, like, but it's run by the organizers that do like Steamboat. I think they've jumped on board um, and they're doing all the event and stuff. So it's a new event. So I think it's the first time for everyone um, racing here. So, oh, sick. Oh, that's good. What's the, what's the distances? I haven't even looked at it yet. I think it's like 177Ks and there's a little bit of climbing. I actually haven't looked too closely yet. It's been pretty hectic with all the travel. So I need to sit down this afternoon and look, look at what I got to do on Saturday. Yeah. But yeah, it's like 177, but I reckon it'll be pretty fast. I reckon it'll be like a, yeah, definitely a sub six hour race, probably like five, five and a half, maybe. Yeah. Um, sure, the riders that are there, it's going to be quick at the bunch. So, um, yeah, and there's a, there's a roads up there. I reckon they'll be pretty smooth and pretty fast. Cause even like when we raced in Sweden last year for the gravel world, Cup, I think we were originally like 36 k an hour. We're like 2000 <laughs> meters of climb. So That's I think it'll be fast too. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I guess, um, yeah, we were just talking with Nico about Unbound, and he had he had yeah had his his um stories about his day out, which sounded like it was a bit of a roller coaster. Um, yeah, and maybe before we talk about the actual like your race, maybe explain. I don't know try and explain like what is it like there at Unbound? How does what's the energy feel like? Because obviously, you know that's like their big dance. You know, it's been kind of the gravel. I mean, that race kind of started the whole gravel thing six or seven years ago. But what does it feel like when you're there? What's the energy like? Yeah, like it was pretty cool. Like there was, I guess, I know they have the whole expo set up. So that's like, I think that there's and Friday. So it's like all the brands and everyone's hanging out and they've got like a little street. So you've got the main street and then there's like a street behind it that they close with this expo. And that was cool because like saw these tents. So like every brand was there with like little marquees and stuff there. And there just heaps of people walking around, I think, getting ready for the race and it was cool. It's cool to see it run around. And then in the main street, you had like the bike shop, which I had to go into there. And there was like a hundred people in this bike shop, which was crazy. So I'd need a few extra water bottles and it was, I've never seen a bike shop that busy, but it's like, it's kind of different because it's like a small town. Like there's actually, I guess coming from bigger cities, like there's not really much there. There's just, I feel like when this race happens, like the town's alive. Cause then on the Sunday it was back to just, there was nothing. There was like, yeah, no around like everyone left like i feel like everyone just flops there for the race and then it's just boom, straight out of there again um but it was cool it was interesting to see what it was like and there was definitely a lot of people there i was surprised how these people were sort of walking around and hanging out and stuff and it was cool just to go and you know chat to all the brands i work with and there's you know other people there and people like buying stuff for the race like i had to buy a few hydration packs because mine didn't arrive in time they came the day i left so it's kind of cool it's like you're pretty sorted and it's just nice everyone's there so you can um, yeah chat and, and do all sorts of stuff so mm. okay and did you was there any other athletes there on the um on like the roster for scott um yeah you've had like uh isabel king and then i think maybe ryan standish he was there as well i think he's with like scott usa um mm. but they had yeah so scott had someone out from switzerland and then they had the u.s team there which is really cool so they were looking after us um or looking after me in the feed zone so they had everything dialed which is really cool so like a um, a van in the first one event the second one and i think for this race like your support team is like super super crucial like you really need that dialed um so you need to have people that can be you know just the first one and then a separate team that go to the second one um because it's pretty hard logistically to get between the two i think also for them they had tents set up and pressure washers and everything full like full toolboxes and yeah um it was pretty cool but i was also i was lucky because i guess yeah i had scott there then i had challenge were there too so we were changing tires like the day before the race and stuff but 
I was just lucky they were there because I had all the stock there. So I ended up going up like 45 mil tires and, you know, they put the tires on and then went to see the team at SRAM too. So you had um, Anna um, and Sam from SRAM, which was great. So whenever they're there, they get the bike fully dialed too. So um, it's different pedals and some new parts and then to make sure it's yeah super fresh for the race. And they were also in the feed zones too. So I wasn't relying on them um, if I did need help, but, you know, worst case, if something really went bad, like um, I could go to them. But also, you know, they set me up with spare sets of wheels and like it was it was fully sorted so um, I couldn't really ask for much more really um, in terms of all the support at the race so um, I was pretty lucky there to have all that so I so think it would like, be a pretty tricky one to do like by yourself solely. <laughs> Sounds like it's a full F1 setup that's elite. Wow. Yeah yeah like I rolled into the like I it was funny because like you, there's a lot to do like I had all my nutrition planned out and I, I separated different bags so it was like bag for feed zone one bag for feed zone two and then I had all these notes on my phone so I sent them to everyone at Scott so they knew exactly what I wanted um when I was coming to the feed zone so I could be like okay for the first feed zone we're grabbing this and this and like they had it all laid out they like grabbed my bike loop the chain all that sort of stuff um, we didn't pressure wash it at the first feed zone because the mud was concrete at that stage um i don't think there was any point because it was, it was running fine by then but we had everything set up so worst case you know there's like spare access batteries there was everything there so wow that's crazy yeah that's that's yeah. crazy yeah when you on your um well last year were you running shram or shimano i was on shimano last year oh, yeah so what's it been like now, changing it's been really good. I'm uh, I'm happy I changed because I did not have a single problem with my bike all day. I, I don't even know how many people I rode past uh, in the race. We stopped on the side of the road, shifting not working, bike broken. But I had zero mechanical issues, zero punctures. Like it was it was good. So I was actually running a new tire from Challenge as well. So um, been on the prototype one for the last couple of months now, which has been good. So testing that. So I had it at Perth as well, um, but it was just, it didn't really look like anything. It was un- unbranded. Um, but yeah, we've um, yeah worked on something new there and it, it's been awesome. So um, just focusing on that puncture protection with gravel, because I think it's a pretty, pretty key point. And um, yeah, I wasn't even running liners or anything. Like everyone's running inserts in their tires and yeah, I didn't even do any of that, but yes, yeah, still no punctures. So. Mm. Are those the, the liners are like the phone kind of like pool noodle little yeah like, yeah yeah they're foam but then you see like as soon as guys get punctures and they maybe have to put a tube in or something they're riding with the liner like tied around their neck because they can't get the tire back on or can't get the liner back in because it does make it a bit tricky to sort of get everything on it's a tighter fit um so mm. and i don't know like personally i don't yeah feel like i need to run them because i still run quite low pressures but I just feel like I ride quite smoothly. So I'm not relying on a liner there to like take the impact of rocks. Like I'll, you know, pick a better line or bunny hop or or do something like that to yeah, get around a section. So yeah. What what are the, what are the tires? Challenge. Um, yeah, challenge getaway XP. Um so it's oh, just like got a, the shirt on and everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just go in. He's got yeah. the shirt. Yeah. yeah. Challenge yeah. challenger getaway. Yeah, yes. Um, they've been really good. So, yeah. Okay. Enjoying them. So, hopefully, uh, we see good results for the rest of the season. But I uh, yeah, feel pretty confident. Gunbound was super rocky. There was some, yeah, those flint rocks are super sharp. Um, then, like, there was where it was like you ride for maybe like a couple hundred meters. And it's just like big rocks like that, just all piled up. It's loose, like the bike's moving around. So, um, yeah, it's pretty pretty technical in spots but it was cool so yeah but yeah the event village was cool and yeah i guess 
that was pretty much what was going on before the race. So it was pretty much like try to get your bottles done, try to get like make sure the bias style, changing any setups and stuff. And then, yeah, you go to race day and see what happens. So. Wow. Did they do a call up to the like a front row grid or anything like that? Or was it just first in? I think so, but I think it was just for the lifetime athletes. And I, I honestly wasn't that stressed about it lining up at the front for this race. I was like, I've got 330 kilometers to sort it out. Um, I had stem notes on, so I knew like when to be at the front and stuff. And probably for the mud section, I was a little bit out of position, but like for me, it didn't really matter because I kind of like started behind and then rode through. But um, yeah, um, yeah, no call-ups. I was just chilling at the start. I just wanted to stay super relaxed. I wasn't trying to stress about trying to be, you know, fighting for wheels in the first 5K and sprinting out of corners. Like I was literally almost off the back of a bunch for the first like. 5k because everyone was like you go through a corner they would like sprint and then the bunch would sit up and they'd all be coasting i was like there was zero point you're just wasting energy there so i just like cruise around the corner cruise back onto the bunch and then then i'd start moving up i did start moving up i think before the first climb about 16k and so but it's like the rope you just sort of move up through the middle or if you see someone going on the outside you just pop on their wheel for a bit and yeah don't stress just move up slowly and you get there eventually so um, but I think a lot of guys you can sort of tell guys that maybe have ridden on the road or haven't because yeah maybe some of the mountain bikers and gravel guys like they just yeah send it up the outside and burn a bunch of energy um to get there and then end up you know <laughs> back in the bunch anyway so um, yeah well um Talk to me about that mud section. I've just been reading like everything I can on Twitter, yeah. lots of different takes. I've seen lots of yeah. Instagram stories. I've seen um I've seen a lot, mate. It just and I've read a couple of interesting articles about it now that are coming out about that particular section. But um yeah, yeah I mean yeah, can you describe the actual material? Like I've heard the term peanut butter mud. Yeah. Like what are we yeah. talking? Like you just you can't could you stick your bike in there, like just stand it up in the mud, it's that thick. Yeah, yeah, you could. Yeah, I reckon easily. Yeah. It was like so I don't know, I guess the actual mud, I know it had rocks in it too. So it had these oh, like cool. little pebbles and rocks and stuff. So it was cooked. Um, but I don't know, it was like it was so sticky. Like I've raced a lot of cyclocross, I guess, over the last few years, like World Cups and stuff, and I've never seen mud like that ever in my really? life. Uh, yeah, like not nothing that sticky. Like it literally. So I would wheel my bike along the mud. Like it would look firm. You wheel on the like mud for like 20, 20, 30 meters. Wheels wouldn't spin. Like there was literally that much caked in there. And I had a little paint stick, so I was using that while I was riding to clear mud and stuff, which was working good. Um, so I think the start of the mud, I actually like. I know I was out of position. Um, I got stuck in this like really deep like puddle because um, I took the wrong line because I couldn't see like with the bunch like you just you yeah. actually couldn't see like where to go. Um, I got stuck, but then I kind of rode through because the start of the the mud was quite like it was sort of wet mud, so it was actually it was easy to ride through. Like the bike was still getting clogged up, but like if you had the skills, you could ride through it. So I rode past like heaps of guys because I guess probably the CX experience. Like I could just yeah. sort of pick a good luck. I was like I was going sideways and stuff. Like I think I passed. Past a lot of guys, I just threw them stop because they couldn't really ride through it. Um, but I could, so I just went through all that. Then started hitting the grass, and this, I was like, okay, we're in good shape here. I started catching more guys. I could sort of see the front, so I started. Yeah, I was pretty much almost front group again. I think I was maybe second group. I was with like Paul Voss and Jasper, mm. and then Eva, and then I think Eva had an issue, and because um, we were all riding, you had to ride in the grass because like the mud was just too sticky on the road. So everyone, there's like two embankments either side um, with That's like, kind like of grass. Yeah, kind of grass, um, but it was sort of mud at that stage because by the time we went through it, it chopped it up. But yeah, bar by fancy, the sides, so that was real fun. Um, 
and yeah there was like big rocks in the grass as well you couldn't see so it was almost like a little single track um and then yeah I don't know I was like I was kind of running and riding like sort of like CX style like if it was sort of too hard to ride like you could ride through it but I wanted to save the energy I just get off run I'd run past like three or four guys jump back on the bike ride for a bit more get off like it's sort of just trying to get through with like minimal energy um and then yeah I think I found myself nearly at the front and then there was one bit of road I was like oh, it looks pretty dry um I tried to ride down it and then I was I was there for 10 minutes so um my bike was fully clogged with mud so I nearly made it through um I just made one mistake trying to ride on the road and yeah that cooked me so yeah wow. I literally I couldn't even pull the mud out of the bike it was that bad so it was all through the chain ring, all through. It was more the rear wheel, it was the rear of the bike. Because so I went up to 45 mil tires too. So it meant I had even less clearance than oh, what I wanted. Between the seat tube, right? Between the frame, seat tube, the one, like literally the chain ring wouldn't even turn, like nothing would move. And I, I couldn't, I was with my fingers trying to like scoop this mud out, but I could barely pick it out because there was all the rocks in there and it was, yeah, it was a mess. So I had the paint stick trying to like push it out and it wouldn't even like, it was like cement. It was crazy. It was just like, impossible to get out so like yeah i was there for like 10 minutes trying to get the bike going and oh. yeah that was my day over really <laughs> yeah the mud i actually one of the guys from uh i don't know if you've met him before his name's chris but he was racing the xl which was yeah, the how those guys did that like seriously. going through that yeah 350 miles like i think the winner won in 22 hours or <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, actually crazy, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think I'm pretty sure. I mean, from watching, I remember watching Vegan Cyclist video last year when he did it, and I think they started like 3 a.m. the night before or something, or three. No, it was three. It was 3 p.m. on the Friday they started. So like that was kind of cool because he had the expo there, so all these people were already hanging around, and they started this race, and then these guys are going through the night, which is like ridiculous. Like they got lights on and stuff, trying to ride Millie's gravel roads. I was like. I couldn't think of anything worse. Like, yeah, that sounds uh, crazy. Insane. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the yeah, Chris went and raced it. I think he's from Melbourne. This guy, legend. He um showed me a picture of his bike, and yeah, in the you know where the the clearance between the seat tube and the tires, the mud had yep. got obviously caked in that um section, and with all the rocks over the time of this race, that it's worn through the carbon of the bike. It's just a hole. He sent me yeah. a picture of it, yeah. zoomed in. I was zooming in thinking it looks like there was bees in there, like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. the bugs, because yeah. there was these tiny pebbles. And I was like, the more I zoomed yeah. in, I was like, what actually happened to the bike? And he goes, "It's that's a hole in, in the seat tube. Yeah, yeah. Literally. Been- like, yeah, my friend got smoked too from that. Like, because it was literally, so once it dried, like you're just grinding. Like, the, I reckon the next, like, 20 minutes after the mud, I was doing so many watts just trying to like push through because there was still mud on the bike and I didn't want to keep stopping. So I was just like riding through it, trying to hit every single puddle um, to try like, oh, you just want to like, the mud so it kind of falls off. But yeah, like I even prepared for it too. Like I literally coated my bike in silicon spray, all that, like all the little tricks you can do to try and like help that stuff. But it did not, it wasn't going to do anything against that. Um, that was like next level. And it, it was eight, I think it was like a 10 kilometer section too, just all mud. Like we were in there for ages. Crazy. Like, like yeah, I reckon I ran maybe like five k of it. Um, like yeah, like it was it was hard. Like I, I was so close to getting through. Um, and it, and like I wasn't front group. I could still see like Keegan and those guys like up ahead. But I was with yeah, we like Paul and those guys. So I was like okay, if we get if we get rolling on a good road, like we'll be able to get. Yeah. 
yeah, it's like such a long race. Like they're not going to go full from the start. So even if they ride hard, like we can still get back. Um, but yeah, I, I watched that all right away. I was just like stopped there in the middle of this road, seeing guys go left and right, like just straight past me. I was like, but then that was kind of me. Like I had no problems the whole section. So I was passing so many guys. I think I passed some of the other Aussie guys like right at the start. And then, yeah, I never saw any of these guys again. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I think they were all like either behind, stuck in the mud too. So I had a good run. Um, I kind of just tried to use the skills to get through it. But yeah, I just got a bit, bit unlucky. I took the wrong line and yeah, it cooked me. So um, I, I guess... What yeah. happens? Like, it you happens, gotta be honest. Yeah. yeah, so you weren't the only um, one too that, that got uh well, yeah. No, yeah, and then yeah, it. spent 150 Ks chasing after that, which was really fun. So I think I got back to like maybe just inside the top 15. Um, so I was probably like 40th or 50th out of this mud. Um, and then yeah, didn't really have many guys to work with. I had someone from 82R, I think he just came off the Giro, I can't remember his oh, name, Larry. but the US, yeah, guy. yeah, we were together. Yeah, we were together maybe like five minutes, but I was like, I was riding with him and we were literally riding everyone off the wheel. Like I was just sitting on his wheel because he wasn't flicking the elbow. So I was like, perfect, I'm going to cop a toe here. But I was looking behind, everyone's just getting shelled because he was ripping it. Um, but then I think he had some bike issues and had to stop. And then, yeah, I was pretty much just like left alone with like a couple other guys, but no one was really strong enough to like yeah. fully go and close the gap so i was with maybe a small group for a while and i was kind of doing most of the work and then it, like i think 60ks or 50ks and i just broke off solo um mm. and then i think i had some one guy come with me i think he's in lifetime so he was fast he was like on the climb not so quick but on the on the flats and stuff he could just ride 300 which is like kind of all we needed and then yeah we were just like picking off guys so um i think just before the first feed we caught a group with like alex Howes rob britain and then two mm -hmm. other guys too that was a good group because they were like they're going strong but i think they'd all had their issues too because like they're all guys you'd expect to be in the front group yeah, definitely. Um, as well. so kind of rare with them to the first feed um like we caught them 20ks before then i go through the first feed. i went through pretty quick so i actually came out solo um i think it was probably top 20 at that point then I passed, like, I think Cole Patton as well. Like, I think he'd had issues too, but he was also struggling because I went past him and was like, do you want to work? But he was, yeah, I think he was pretty boxed at that stage. And, um, yeah, then got, like, Kill Ryan and then a couple other guys. And then, yeah, my lights went out. Like, I think, like, 190K and I was just, like, done. But I think I just kind of rode, like, too hard. But I also was, like, I'm not there to participate. Like, I didn't go there just to be, like, I want to do and finish Unbound. Like, I was there to race. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah um yeah tried to make it happen again and get back to some something decent but it was just a bit too much for me so it's still like nearly seven hours of racing so um it was still a long long day so um but yeah it was uh it was an epic so definitely you, definitely you put your cards on the table that's for sure yeah yeah like i had good legs like i was actually having to watch the garment not to go too hard like i was like because normally in a race, day, I don't I don't look like I just go full gas but yeah. I'm down at level I can't I can't just do that because I'm going to rip it and then just go like blow to pieces so mm. um later on so I was just trying to limit it like not ride too much more than like 320 like on the on the flats and stuff because I think if I did any more I know like I can't do that for 10 hours so um I didn't really know how long I could do that for I was like yeah six six hours is fine at that but like I don't know after that it's a it's a bit of a lottery yeah. and a bit for me so um yeah, yeah. Did you see the power file for Keegan? I did. I did. Not bad. I mean, I, the, the 290 normalized for, for 10 hours is pretty impressive, but I'm still impressed with the peak power on the sprint. Um, 
Yeah. I was really yeah. impressed by that. 12, 12.45 watts, I think it was, the peak for that sprint. It was like a 1,000 watts, a 15 seconds. And that's after 10 yeah. hours. Like, that's the first thing that goes when you're fully fucked. Like, you're... Your sprints. He's also probably 65 kilos or something yeah. too. Like he's not big at all. So that's very impressive. Like there's the, nothing to play. him. No, no. He's yeah. um yeah, I remember because he raced the world champs at Wollongong. I remember talking to him then we interviewed because yeah. I was like, who's this US guy? Because he got a he, yeah. he got selected and I was like, he hadn't raced on the road like properly. And I was like, geez, how's this guy gonna go? And I think yeah, he actually yeah. got round, I think, as well. But that's what I remember seeing him and going. God, there is not much to this guy. So, yeah. No. Impressive. And also yeah. impressive for Lachlan to be there as well. Like, yeah, that's, but I think it's something like, I realized like a race like Unbound, something different. Like, it's kind of funny. Like, you saw around like the, the six hour mark, like a lot of guys just start falling apart. Yeah. And these like guys, it's almost like, I don't know, it's just like a different sort of fitness level. Like, after that, like, you know, like eight, nine, eight 10 plus. hour mark. Yeah. Yeah, it's just different again. Like it's, I don't know. Yeah, these guys obviously do a lot of training for it, but I think you know, if you're only doing one race like that in a season, it's kind of hard because I think it would compromise you for, say, the shorter mm-hmm. stuff. You probably wouldn't have the punch um, to be able to really hit it for a four or five hour race. But yeah, like what they can do for that that distance is pretty uh pretty crazy. So yeah, yeah, I think Lockie being there kind of sums up the type of race it is because he wouldn't be there in, in the maybe the, these days in the top three for those shorter sort of races. Um, but mm. that long 10-hour one, I mean, you know. Oh, he can ride all day. Like, he can just go and go and go. So, yeah. <laughs> oh. It's uh, next level. So, yeah. yeah. I was worried about it since I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this because I, I prefer the shorter stuff. I'm like, give me a four or five-hour race. That's that's perfect. Like, mm. even a six-hour race, it's kind of on the limit, but I'm getting better at it now, I think, because probably still young as well. I like, try and do these longer ones. It's like a pretty big task, but I was like, we'll do Unbound and just see what it's like. I just need to get some experience here because, you know, if it's a race you want to try targeting a couple of years' time, like, you can't just come into it without, you know, without doing it at all. So even just, like, little things with like the feed zone and bike setups and all that stuff, it's good to experience it early and, uh, and that sort of thing but yeah I pulled the pin 200k and I've never been that cracked so and I got feeling this weekend so that's kind of why I was like I could I could probably try to get around this thing but I'm going to be out there for like 11 hours and the amount of damage that's going to do when I'm already pretty cracked is probably not worth it because I've got feeling this weekend and then the France World Cup the week after so they're kind of two pretty important races and they suit me a bit more so kind of just had to make a decision I was already kind of out of the race so um it's like need to look after the body here and just yeah, for look sure. ahead for the, yeah. rest of the rest of the season. So, well, um, uh, yeah, smart call, man. Um, do you need a we like? Do you need a new frame? I don't know actually. I've uh, I'm lucky. Like in Girona here, like um, I just dropped my bike off of the service course. So some of the guys there just looked over. But they said it's all good. They just gave it a really good clean up for me because we cleaned up the race, but it, it needed to be cleaned like four times. I reckon oh, for it to be yeah. proper, but. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's. I think it'll be okay. I don't think I've worn through the carbon. I reckon the only area I want to check is maybe behind the chain room because I reckon there was a, there was a lot of dirt just stuck there and riding all day. I reckon it's worn through there pretty bad, but I, it wouldn't have gone through. It probably just just scuffed a bit. But mechanically, I think it's all all good. So um, I had yeah no issues all day, which was really nice. So even in the mud, like shifting was still perfect. And yeah, it was kind of nice when you know you're riding past all these other people with all these mechanical issues and. Your bike's still perfect, so that's which is good. a good feeling. Yeah, I saw Trekkie was stuck in the in the 
11 for a lot of his race. Um, yeah, I think that happened to like Elar as well. Like there's a few guys on Shimano that had issues, like battery issues. And yeah, I rode past quite a few of them, like in from the top as well. Like they're all top guys you'd expect to be at the front. Because I think yeah. I rode, I saw Trek at the start of the mud and rode past him. And then I, I never saw him again. So I thought like, I either thought these guys had gone past me when I stopped or they just had issues and pulled out of the race. Because that was the thing, like once he came out of the mud, like you had no idea where people were. Like, or at least I didn't. He sort of started asking people like, how many guys are up the road? Like, where are we now? Um, that's what I did first phase. And I was like, oh, what position am I? And they're like, oh, maybe like top 20. And I was like, oh, okay, that's all right. We've passed a lot of guys, which I kind of expected because like we've yeah, been passing a lot of people. But yeah, it's so hard to know what's happening. out there, just in the middle people of the year. 4,000 yeah. competitors. That's absolutely crazy. There's a lot, yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't know how to get through the mud. That would have been the thing I wanted to see is like everyone just participating in the race and just trying to complete it. Like they must have been out like in that section for so long trying to get through because just that many people and yeah, it would have been really chopped up as well. Like yeah, especially like you said, those grass bits would have been gone for the people at the back. Oh, it would have been <laughs> destroyed. Would have been that would have been yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how uh, they got through. They I did think- so. I think it was like a 30, I think I saw something just yesterday. It was like 35 or 37% DNF rate for this year's, which yeah. is the highest ever. I'm not surprised. Like even when I when I pulled the pin, I was like, there's actually a guy, um, he was in the group with Howes and Britain when I caught him before the first feed zone. Like we actually pulled out together like 200K in. Like so he'd been like at the front of the race too, but like, and I think he was saying like he's ex-pro on the road and stuff. So like there's a lot of good guys that were just, yeah, pulling yeah. out. So mm. I think it was kind of the, like, yeah, once you're like seven, eight hours into the race and it's just not going your way, like a lot of these guys I don't think are there just to, finish the race like a few are a few definitely just want to complete it but i think at that point you kind of have to try and make a bit of a smart a smart call um yeah, it's different just like a, a four or five hour race when you're maybe not having a good day because like that doesn't do too much damage like you might ride an hour or two hours like not feeling good but riding another like four hours five hours like it's after seven hours it's a it's a long time so that's a good that's a very good point yeah do, uh, do you know if i didn't can't remember if i saw his name on the results but did paul voss finish no, he pulled out, I think, 230. Actually, they did a little YouTube video recap. I actually watched that last night because I was sort of trying to watch, like, a few videos and see what other people thought of it. But, yeah, I think he pulled out um, before the second checkpoint too. So Yeah, he's been uh, going good yeah. early in the year, really. Yeah, he's got some good form. Yeah, yeah, he's he's strong. So, um, But, again, I think he's racing in Finland too, So, um, which would be interesting. But I think I saw, like, um, on his video, he switched to, like, mountain bike pedals, he was saying. And he normally he hasn't ridden them for, like, a couple of months, but he's on road pedals a lot. So I think he was having problems with his calves or something from the switch. So because, um, obviously, it's, like, it is a little bit different when you switch pedals and Definitely. slightly yeah. different position, different shoes. So to do that before the race is a, a big call. But if you're on road pedals, you would have been in huge trouble trying to get through that month. Like, it would have been <laughs> day over. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. I remember Paul Voss, he OG cycling fans will know that he used to race for the Bora Argon team, which was prior to um, Bora Hans Grower before Sargon came on. And um, yeah. just a shitty Pro Conti team back when they had Sam Bennett and Shane Archibald. And Paul Voss, I think he wore the polka dot jersey at like Paris Nice or something for one day. And that was the first time That's I crazy. saw the team. And then the next yeah. year I had Hans Grower and Sagan. And then now they're, you know, they've got the king, the king of snags, Jai Hindley. So 
Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of funnier because I don't like a lot of these guys. Like Paul, I actually didn't know he used to race on the road like that. Like a lot of these guys have been racing. Like I actually didn't know their backgrounds until like after the race. And I'll speak to someone because like, oh, like this guy, like where do you come from? Like oh no, he's pro on the road or done. I'm like okay, Crazy makes sense. Yeah, like a lot of these guys are like next level strong. So I'm trying yeah. to work out like where they all come from. Obviously, like the the main guys I know, but like some of these other guys that are yeah now top riders too. Like I was like okay makes sense because yeah he's been flying this season paul like yeah. he's been on yeah um what else was gonna ask um oh yeah okay so um are you changing anything for finland gravel this week in terms of setup or yeah, yeah you change like anything on your bike like you said you rode would you ride 43s or 45s for unbrown Unbound. I think I might ride them again at Finland, actually. Like, I kind of just want to see what they're like. Um, I might run 40s, but I think I'll stay 45s. I'll, like, same gearing. So I've got, like, a 52 up front, one by with a 1044 cassette. Keep that. Um, I actually made up, like, custom, like, CO2 mounts and tool mounts for Unbound 2, which had all my stuff, like, literally, yeah, hidden and integrated on my bike. So Sweet. I'll keep that on for, uh, yeah. I actually... Uh, I've been working a little uh, YouTube video, a little behind the scenes where I've been showing a bit of that stuff as well. Cause uh, yeah, it was uh, before I left. Um, so I didn't actually get it ready in time for seven, um, but it's something I've been designing and working on for a little while. And yeah, I got some prototypes done just before I came over and yeah, I had it all on. And I think people were, that saw it were pretty surprised. Like what's this and, and stuff. So, um, cause it was uh, yeah, better than taping a CO2 kind of set to your frame. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I saw some pretty yeah. village setups with like the with the plugs yeah. and everything. I saw them attached to some random places. Um, yeah, I did it. Yeah, <laughs> mine was that's the thing. I like my bike fully dialed, so I did a little bike check just to show everyone what I was running because I had like Dyna plugs hidden in the um, the insides of my bars, and yeah, these are the CO two um, mounts as well. So actually, like clipped in, and yeah, there was like so if I wanted to use a CO two count, the head was already on there too. And nice. the mount has like a cover, so there was no dirt that got in there. Like I literally pulled them out when I got back yesterday and like there was like almost no mud on them. So I was like, it worked perfectly. Um, but it means like you get a flat, just pull the CO2 out quickly, bang, on it goes, put it back on the bike. Like it's all about saving time, I think, because uh flats and mechanicals and gravel are pretty common. So you can't be like, oh, my race was over because I got a flat. Like, yeah, it might affect it, but you can still ride back to a pretty good position, I reckon, even if you do get a flat um because yeah plugs and co2 it's pretty quick um these days to to fix something so mm, sweet when's the um first youtube video gonna be up uh maybe tomorrow actually i've uh, um, nearly finished the end on it so it's just okay. a little like vlog style uh unbound video but i think i might try to do a few more um for the rest of the races i think i might do one for finland and i'll just see how it goes like i don't really know if people are gonna like them or you know Mate, what they want to see but, uh, people yeah. want to see them for sure you gotta yeah yeah yeah, so I'll put this one Yeah, yeah. So I'll put this one up. But I think, yeah, I've been chatting to a few people. So we'll try to get a bit more like I didn't really have a lot of race footage to use for Unbound. So this one's a little bit more behind the scenes, me just chatting about setups and you know, a bit more about like kind of like we're doing here, just thoughts about the race and stuff. Yeah. Um, but Finland maybe will show a bit more and, and everything. I think just good to sort of show people, you know, what's happening on the bike and you know how you approach some of these races, because there's not heaps out there really showing people sort of, you know what's happening and, and what's going on. So, um, yeah, I like doing the content and video, so let's, let's do it. So, um, yeah, hopefully tomorrow that'll be, that'll be up. Let's go. Cool.
Thanks for listening. That's another episode of the Press Room Podcast, done and dusted. We're only 30 away from episode 100. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to keep chugging along, and I hope you guys enjoy these episodes. Um, if you're still listening now, OG fans, we've got Blake Quick coming up. He's in the pipeline. Poor guy's had a bit of a, um, a get-down recently. Now he's going to have some time off on the bike. Recover. We'll talk to Blake very soon. I think he's had a pretty successful Neopro, and, and he's made some big steps. And also, if you're listening now, we're getting a retired sprinter on the podcast. I think it's going to be next month. Uh, we will lock him in, the big gorilla. Uh, looking forward to chatting with him. That's going to be really cool. And then I think we'll have to chat with a few of the women for, well, ahead of the Tour de France famous. But legends, thanks for listening. Nico Roche, Adam Blazovic, follow them on their gravel careers this year. And I'll see you on the next episode.